If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, I said last week, if you're not sure where Titus is, it's best to probably start with Revelation at the end of the Bible and start heading left. If you start at Genesis, we'll be done before you get there. So, uh, Titus, and we'll look at chapter 2. Um, last week we looked at verses 1 through 14, but focused on verses 11 through 14. This week we'll look at verses 1 through 14 and focus on verses 1 through 10. So we're kind of doing it backwards. Um, but as we've been studying this book, um, we've seen the theme of, of godliness or of, of good works keeps coming out. And Paul is instructing Titus, who is a, a young pastor in Crete, on how to help his church see that the, the gospel is powerful enough to transform the worst of people into godly members of Christ's church. That's kind of been the big theme that we've seen for the whole book. The gospel is powerful enough to transform the worst of people into godly members of Christ's church. And the goal is that he wants Titus to trust the gospel. Trust the gospel to transform the members of his church there in Crete. And so as he's encouraging him in this, he talks about the role that elders play in that process. And then here in chapter 2, he speaks about how, how everyone is involved and how Titus needs to help his church grow in godliness as he in, instructs them. So we looked at chapter 2 last week and we said that our big idea was this, the gospel makes godly living possible for all of God's children. And since we're in the same passage, that's, that's going to be our same big idea uh, we'll just look at it from a different angle. So the, the big idea, again, if you remember it from last week, if you don't, I won't be offended. Uh, the gospel makes godly living possible for all of God's children. And we thought about the practicality of that by saying, one, that everyone is called to godly living. The gospel makes godly living possible for all of God's children. Um, it's supposed to be for all people, not just some special class of people within the church. It's for everyone. Um, and also that it's possible. Sometimes we feel like I will never grow in holiness. I will never see good works bore out in my life. But that's not true. The gospel makes it possible. Um, the passage is broken down into two main parts. Verses 1 through 10 focus on what we would call the what of godly living. So the characteristics of, of the good works that we're to have in our lives. And then verses 11 through 14 speak of the how of godly living. So verses 1 through 10 give us a description of good works, and then verses 11 through 14 talk about the power from which those good works are going to, to flow out of. Um, so last week we looked at that power part, how the gospel empowers and instructs godly living. So the good news about Jesus is not just that he saves us, but that he saves us to good works, that he helps us to grow. We can think about that classic, for, for by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. We're to do good works. So we're saved, not by good works, but we are saved to good works. So that's the, the power is from the gospel, the incarnation of Jesus that we celebrate, his life, his death, his resurrection, his promised return. These are the source of the strength that we need for godly living, and Jesus is also our model. He empowers and instructs. Okay? Um, and it's not just 11 through 14. This is actually how Paul begins the whole passage in chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus is to teach what accords with sound doctrine, what's in line with sound doctrine. He's to, to teach the older men and women, the younger men and women, what accords with sound doctrine. And godly living, good works, accord, they, they flow out of 
sound doctrine. In other words, the, if, if we're teaching sound doctrine rightly, it will result in right living. Right doctrine leads to right living. That's just what, what happens. Um, but what would that godly living look like? What, what will these good works look like? What kind of people will we be if the gospel sort of takes root in our lives and then starts to bear fruit in our lives? What's that going to, to look like? I think that's the point of verses 1 through 10, is that Paul's giving us a, a picture of what godliness will look like. If you have a jigsaw puzzle and you dump out all of the pieces, one of the first things you do is look at the picture on the front and say, this is supposed to be the end result. This is what I'm trying to, to get to. And so when we look at these lists, we shouldn't see them as just a bunch of individual pieces, but they are one big picture, and they help us to understand what are the good works we're seeking to put into our lives, because I want to look like this. I, I want to be a godly individual. I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly woman. I, that, I want to honor God with my life. So what's that going to, to look like? So this is the, the, I think 1 through 10, you can think about them as the, the picture on the front of the jigsaw puzzle box, okay? And Paul's going to help us to see what godly living will look like. But he, he's going to give us another answer to the how question. How do we become people who see these good works in our lives? He's going to answer that as, as well and in a different way than he does in verses 11 through 14. But I'm not going to tell you how he's going to answer it yet. Going to, it's a secret that we will reveal. Uh, but let's read chapter 2, uh, 1 through 14. And again, think about that breakdown of the picture in 1 through 10 and then the power in verses 11 through 14. So look with me at Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you... Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now, the gospel makes that kind of godly living possible, and it's possible for all of God's children. Let's think first about a description of godly living. I think that's what we'll talk about in these first, and we're going to focus really on verses 1 through 8, and we'll think about uh, 9 and 10 in conjunction with chapter 3. Um, but a, a description of godly living, that's, that's the first thing we're going to talk about, a description of godly living. Um, this is what he's talking about in verse 12 where we renounce ungodliness and we live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Um, it's what, if you were in Sunday school, it's the putting off of the deeds of the flesh and the putting on the work of the Spirit. It's the same, same concept. Paul's uh, using the same thing. So he gives us this description of godly living, and he starts by giving us a description of older men 
and older women and what they are to look like, how they are to, to live, what their character is going to look like. It begins with the older men. Let, let's think about this picture that he's painting. Okay, So the words that he uses are sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. So let me try to paint a picture of what I think Paul is trying to communicate. Uh, the men are sober-minded. They're, they're level-headed. They are well-balanced. They're not easily overwhelmed on the one hand, but they're not indifferent to life on the other hand. They are realistic about the joys of life and also about the trials of life. I think of them as a large boat. I can say that about the guys, right? They're like a, 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 these older men are like a, a huge boat where the waves sort of affect it a little bit, but for the most part, they're just steady in the water. So if you have a picture of what you want to be like, you just want to be a big boat in the water, okay? <laughs> Sober-minded, dignified. Uh, these guys command respect, and they do it without a word. There's a, a seriousness to this guy. Not, not a sourness, but just a, a demeanor that calls, call, causes others to, to pause and to consider what they're going to say or do in that man's presence. If you stick with that idea of a large boat, uh, a, a large boat in a harbor causes all the other boats in that harbor to raise up a little bit. And that's what this guy does. When, he's, when, he's in, when you're in his presence, he just raises the level a little bit. He's a dignified guy that calls other people to be that way. He's self-controlled. He's prudent, he's thoughtful, he's not a prude, he's not a narcissist, but he's a man who has control over his passions. He, he knows when to say no, whether it's to sin or to food or to drink or to requests from others. He's sort of just in tune with who he is, his strengths and his weaknesses, and he knows how to keep them all in check. He's sound, he's, he's solid in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. His trust in God is firm so that he can weather the storms. His, his love is firm so that the changes in others don't cause changes in him or don't cause him to not love those other people. And he's not ashamed to express his affection for others. He's sound. He's solid in love. The godliest men I know are people that have no issue with saying the words, I love you, to anyone. Um, to telling people that they care deeply for them. This guy is steadfast. He's, he's not petty. He doesn't hold grudges. He has patient endurance with circumstances and with people. I just get the picture that these guys have, have faced life. They've not been shattered by it, but they've been sort of shaped by what they've gone through. Back to the boat, maybe there's a little paint missing and some barnacles all over the hull, but, but these are ships that you would take out into deep waters and you would trust them to get you where you need to go. Um, their faith in God and understanding of him, it doesn't cause them to slump over. It causes them to stand straight. They're not supermen. They're supermen. They're, they're realistic. They're not ashamed to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. They've been hurt by life, but they don't hide their scars because their scars are what have made them who they are. They're comfortable in their own skin. They're comfortable in whatever clothes they have, whatever name is on the label. They see what really matters. You know, they're not like uh, uh, they're, they're not like those of us when we were teenagers. You get a pimple on your face, and you notice it in the morning. And what do you think about all day? I got a big pimple on my face. You know what? An older guy doesn't even notice till he's going to bed, if he notices at all, because he's worried about what really matters. You know, this really doesn't matter. 
These guys are focused. They're they're solid. They're sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. I love that picture that he gives. What about older women? What are the older women to look like? It says they're reverent in behavior. They're, They're venerable in their demeanor. They are honored. They are respected. They are admired for the the character that they sort of exude, that just flows from them. There's some things that they are not. They're not slanderers. You know, I think people usually cut other people down because they themselves are small and and petty. But but these women have have no need. Um, they, They stand tall. They don't need to slander other people to make themselves look bigger. They see all the ugliness of gossip. They don't talk behind the backs of other people, and they don't listen when other people talk behind the backs of other people. And if they are going to talk about someone when they're not around, it's going to be to honor them and to praise them. If they have an issue with someone, they're going to talk to that person face-to-face. They're not going to talk to their friends. These women, they, they don't have any time for slander. And they're not slaves to much wine. Interesting, isn't it? And we always think about the guys being drunks. But these women, they're not slaves to much. They exercise self-control in everything, including alcohol. They're not dulled by the things that they eat or drink or by what they read and watch. They don't swallow down gossip and tabloids and foolishness of any kind. They are, they are controlled and led by the Spirit, not by wine. We said the men were ships. Should I try to come up with an illustration for the women? I'm okay calling you guys a bunch of big boats. Uh, the women are the Empire State Building. That's my illustration. That's the picture I get. They, they stand high above all the buildings that surround, and they've been there for a while. They're, they're an established person. They're a fixture in the skyline. And they stand high above all those other buildings. They're noble, and they're noteworthy, but they're not gaudy. You know, uh, They are unassuming, but they're easy to spot in the midst of everything else. Paul wants Titus to teach a doctrine centered on the gospel that encourages this kind of character. He's to treat, uh, he tells Timothy, treat the older men like fathers and the older women like mothers. And I think the same would be true for, for Titus here. He respects them, he, he honors them, but he's still able to exhort them in these qualities because it's these qualities that the gospel is going to produce. This good works, this godly character is not the result of just their own efforts. It's the result of the work of the the Spirit in them. This is the fruit of the Spirit. They're honoring God with their lives. They're submitting to the work of His Spirit. And this character is coming out in their lives. I love this description because as I think about it, as I think about what he describes older men to be like, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to grow to, to look like. That's how I want to be... Um, seen by my by my kids and by my wife and by our, the church and by the community. And I pray that's true for this description of the older women as well. This is who we want to be. And praise God, in this church we have people who model these kind of lives. Not not perfectly. No one, I'm not asking, and I don't think that's what Paul's asking. But it's important because that, that we have we have older men, we have older women who exude this kind of character in their lives. And that's so important Because this kind of character is not the result of a life that's lived alone. It's the result of a life that's lived in community with others. And this is where I think Paul is touching on this other how 
How do we grow in this kind of character? How do we become older men and older women that look like this? I think we're, we're going to see more of this description. But the second big idea I want to give you is the, the role of the church community in godly living. So he gives us this description of godly living. And then we can think about 11 through 14. It's sort of the power and, and the example of godly living. But then here is the role of the church community in godly living. He's talking about a church. He's talking about this community. And I, I want to say church community because church we so often associate with some sort of building. If I said the role of the church in godly living, we'd start thinking about programs and buildings. No, it's the church community. It's the people. What's the role that we all play in godly living within one another? So he's explaining the what of godly character and good works, and he's also talking about the practical aspects. The power is in the gospel and faith in the gospel. The gospel instructs us. But in these verses, we see sort of the soil that this kind of character is going to grow out of. And it's a soil of a church where, where they value elders that are living godly and teaching and instructing, but also where there are older men and older women who are doing the exact same thing. You know, in the midst of all these character descriptions, we, we think it seems like a list of just these different qualities, but there's so many words for, for teaching and instructing. Notice this. Uh, in verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then right in the midst of it, it comes down at the end of verse 3, these older women, what are they supposed to do? They're to teach. They're to do the exact same thing that Titus is supposed to do. They're to teach what is good. And then um, verse 4, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and so on. That word train there, it has the idea of, of wisdom right at, its, right, at its, right at its core. The word for wisdom is, is a part of that word. And that, that wisdom, wisdom back in Proverbs is, is, is godly living. It's, it's, it's knowledge so that we can live godly lives. It's not just being smart about something. It's knowing how to live rightly. And so they are to not only teach, but they are also to, to train. It's a different word. Then you look later on and he starts talking to, uh, to, to Titus in verse 6. Likewise, urge. Another new word about teaching and training. Urge, exhort, encourage these guys to be self-controlled. Then in verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model, a, a type, to be an example of good works. And then uh, later on, and in your teaching, show integrity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. In the midst of all of this, you see, everyone is teaching. Everyone's encouraging. Everyone's exhorting. Everyone's training. All these instructions of the community of believers is the classroom where we are going to learn how to walk with and please God. I say classroom. That's the best word I can come up with. It's not a very good description because when we think of classroom, we think of teacher and students. So maybe we can think about a more collaborative classroom or effective group work. Not the kind of group work that you did in high school where the smart person did everything and everyone else just sort of rode their coattails. Okay, This is something where everybody's working together. Um, everyone is learning, whether they're teaching or not. Everyone has this role to play. And we, we think about the, the, the church community. It's in some ways this, this sort of collaborative classroom, and we're, we're working together. And if it's going to work, I see kind of three things that we need within the church, within this, to see godly living start coming out. So we're talking here, again, about um, the role of the church community in godly living. What do we need within that church community? The first thing is what we've kind of been talking about. It's this. Humble men and women 
worthy of emulation, who will train others. Humble men and women, worthy of emulation, worthy of following, worthy of of mimicking, who will train others. That's what we need. There was a sketch on Saturday Night Live in the 90s where Chris Farley played a motivational speaker. His name was Matt Foley. And what was funny about this, besides the fact that no one else could keep a straight face when Chris Farley was talking, is that Matt Foley was the furthest thing from someone that you would think should talk about success in life. His, his whole shtick was, don't be like me or you're going to end up living in a van down by the river. That was his whole thing. Uh, of course, people who have succeeded in various areas of lives, these are the ones that are most effective at helping us to find similar success. If you want business success, you don't go and talk to someone who's a business failure, except maybe to learn, here's all the things I shouldn't do. Um, and so Paul describes in these first few verses, older men and women who have been there, done that, and, and have the character to show that they have grown in this way. They are those who know how to build godliness into their lives, and we know that they know how to do it because they're godly. Um, I don't think age is the only factor here, but there is consistent character that is formed over the course of years. Can someone be a faithful person for, for five years and ten years and be someone we can learn something from? Yes. But what if someone's faithful over 15 years and 20 years and 25 years and 30 years? They've got something to, to teach us. Um, and, and Paul's talking about them. But they're not just worthy of emulation, right? But they have to be people that are willing to train others. I think it's ironic that sometimes people with no character are the ones that want to train everybody. And the people that have character don't have any time to train anyone. It shouldn't be that way. We need godly men and women who who want to help others to grow. So I would say as the pastor of this church, as as to those who are older men and women and to those who are becoming older men and women, we, we need you. This church cannot function rightly. We cannot grow in godliness, with, godliness without older men and women who are worthy of emulation and who are willing to train. Do we need godly elders? 100%, yes. That's where he starts, right? He starts with the elders, and he reiterates it in verse 7. Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Titus, you need to teach by the way that you live. And then, Titus... And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. And you need to talk about it. You need to walk the walk and talk the talk. You've got to do both, Titus. But can Titus do this by himself? No way. The elders need others. And there's people that the elders can't reach. I think that's why he talks about the older women teaching specifically. Because I think he's trying to help Titus see, Titus, you can't do everything. And, and it's probably not a good idea for you to try to help train the younger women on how to be godly. Not, not because of, of, of the pitfalls of that, though that, that could be there, but just because he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to do that. I love this. He, he, he know, you see that there right after he's talking about these older women, who they're supposed to be, he says they are to teach what is good and so train the young women. They're to train them. Train them in what? It's an interesting list. The first one is to love their husbands and children. Now, those tasks may be eerily similar at times. Uh, But how amazing that that Paul says this needs to be taught. This is not something that people just know. We assume that this comes naturally. Oh, you're married. You know how to love your husband. You had a kid, so you obviously know how to raise a kid. But it doesn't. 
And who better to teach a wife or a mom how to love their husband and love their kids than someone who's done it? Doesn't that make perfect sense? Who's, who's dealt with a knucklehead husband like you and I were? Who's faced the difficulty of children in all the different stages of life? Isn't that woman going to have some wisdom to be able to impart and to help? I think so. Sadly, sometimes I think the only advice we get about marriage is when the videographer goes around and says, hey, give your best advice to the couple about a successful marriage. And then it like kind of stops there. That's it. You get it on your wedding day, and then it's all over. Well, we need people that will help us grow. Joshua and I were talking yesterday about just how uh, there's different stages, and, and we need to help people see that, you know, there's, there is the, the first year of marriage, but then there's years like two to five, and they're totally different. And then you have kids, and that's totally different. And it's, there's all these different stages, and people have walked through that and know how to help us, and we need that. They're to teach the younger women how to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, again, keeps showing up. Uh, this is to build godly habits. I think sometimes this may be a woman saying, listen, you're walking down this path. I'm watching you walk down this path. I've gone down that path. Or I had friends that I walked, walk, watch walk down that path. Don't do it. You need to rein yourself in here. This is going to be a major issue later unless you get some control here. To be pure. Uh, to build a character that makes these young women into the older women who are reverent and venerable and, and, and honorable in their behavior. Here's the, here's the one, working at home. What do we do with that, right? Working at home. Is, is Paul saying that all women just need to work at home? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's helping. he wants the older women to see the value and the priority of the home. That, that there is value and there is a primacy of place for the home and what needs to happen there. Uh, and we live in a day and age where sort of roles within marriage are, are flexible. I don't do the bills in my house because my wife has a degree in accounting and finance. That would be stupid. If I just said, well, I do the bills because I'm the man, I would do a terrible job and we would be broke. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's ways, though, that, that women, older women can help younger women to understand how, how, do you, how do you manage a home? How do you keep things in order? How do we do all the things that we have to do in the day and not just order pizza every night? Because sometimes that's, I mean, I've been there. That's all you want to do. Um, how, do we, how do you value your, your home as a place where significant, wonderful things happen? I think there's... there's I, th- I think that's the point. I don't think the point is every woman should not have a secular job and they should all just be working at home. No. It's the value of the home. It's, it's to see, listen, this is important. And this is, this, is, this is priceless. Here's the lovely thing about this, is there are older women in this church who have, who have uh, done their primary work at home, who have been homemakers and construct others. There are women who have held down a full-time job and taking care, taking care of their house and raised children. And they can help other women to understand how to do that and how to honor God. They can do it way better than I can. And that's why we need older women. They're also to teach them to be kind. I think that's interesting. I don't know. Is there just a propensity when we're young to be jerks? And the older women help us to see, let's, let's be kind. Let's learn how to be loving to others. And then finally submissive to their own husbands. I love this because an older woman knows about this more than anyone. Uh, and they can help younger women understand the blessing of that path. Even as I'm standing here, I see the benefit of that. Uh, why would I presume to tell a woman how to be submissive to their husband? I think sometimes maybe the reason that that's such a big issue in the church is because it's always just the guys standing behind a pulpit trying to tell women how to be submissive to their husbands. 
I mean, I get it. I understand it. But wouldn't it be better for an older woman to come alongside a younger woman and help them to understand that in a much better way, in a much more understanding way? Makes sense to me. So I'm just going to leave it there and entrust it to the older woman. I think what's interesting about this list, too, doesn't this seem like the path that you would walk if you want to be that older woman? If you want to be the older woman uh, who is reverent in behavior, not a slanderer, not a slave to much wine, that is able to teach and train others, wouldn't it be these characteristics that you'd be building in your life and then you would become that older woman, that the older woman is training you to be like them? Titus is to be a type. He's to be a model of good works that teaches and trains. I think the same is true for any member of this church that has these godly characteristics. They're to do the exact same thing. The elders need godly women. The church needs godly older women. And the elders need godly older men. They need them to teach all these young guys how to be self-controlled. I love that. I still love that. that That's the only characteristic that's given for the young men. Teach them how to be self-controlled. They just need one thing to think about. And they just got to figure out how to control themselves a little bit in every area of life. And the elders cannot be the only ones that are doing this. I think sometimes elders are seen as unapproachable. I don't want it to be that way. But sometimes for some reason, the guy that stands up here every week, well, I don't want to go tell him about how I don't have any self-control. Um, but there may be, it may be that, that you are someone that someone in this church could come to and talk to. Uh, it may be the fact that you're not an elder means that this young guy is going to be more honest with you and help you, uh, help, and you can help them more. In fact, I think because of life experience, some, pe- some men in this church are better equipped to help younger men in this church to understand things, um, to help them know, how do I honor God in my secular workplace that I work at you know, 50 hours a week? I can help in some ways, but there's some guys here that are going to be able to help a lot better than me. Uh, to know how to raise a family when the week gets really long, if you get not traveling all the time. To know how to read the scriptures when you're just tired. You can teach self-control maybe in a unique way that I can. We need older men. So when we think about this, this soil that, the, that things are growing in, this community that things are growing in, we need humble older men and women who are worthy of emulation, but also are willing to train. Now, on the flip side of that, you know what else we need? Humble men and women who desire to learn from others. (laughs) We need both. We need humble men and women who desire to learn from others. It's said that to be old and wise, you must first be young and stupid. Just think about how many stupid mistakes we could avoid if we were just willing to listen to others. We were just humble enough to to hear what they had to say. But see, one of the stupid things that we believe when we're young is that older people don't understand anything. (laughs) Uh, But I I think here that the people with the least, what's interesting in our culture, the people with the least experience are the ones who think they understand everything. Uh, And we live in a culture that values youth. And so therefore, the, the youth and the young people, they're the ones that we need to listen to. But that's not true. And I don't really even think that that's what young people want. One of the most interesting things that, that came out of the World Series for me was there was a guy on the, on the Cubs, David Ross. David Ross, they called him Grandpa Rossi. You know why? He's a major league ball player, and he's 39 years old. Now, that's old, I guess. So you get called Grandpa in the major leagues if you're 39 years old. Um, they called him Grandpa Rossi, and everyone on that team loved the guy. Everyone did. And they all were so happy that he was on their team and that he was training them and that he was helping them grow. And everyone talked about this guy. It was, it was amazing 
to watch. It also helped that you can hit a home run in Game 7 of the World Series at 39 years old. So he's a good ball player, too. I was listening to the commentary, though, and, and these, the commentator said, this guy's great, but the problem is that major league teams can't afford to have him on their roster anymore, and so they're leaving a lot of these teams. And yet they're talking about how valuable it was to have this guy and how he raised the level in the clubhouse and how he helped these guys learn and grow. And I just thought, how silly is that? Let's just We need all the young guys, and you're talking about how great this guy has been. I think that there is something that, that we know as young people, even if we don't want to admit it, that, that we need older people in our lives. So I'd say to those of us that would, I find myself in some strange, like, limbo phase, that I feel like maybe I'm growing to be this, an older man, but yet I still feel young and I have a lot to learn. But so I could say these questions to myself too, but are we willing to hear people tell us that we need more self-control? As a young person, are you willing to listen to someone say that to you? Are you willing to take advice about very personal issues in your life? from someone who's older? Will you listen to someone talk to you about how to love your spouse or how to raise your children? Are we willing to invest time? Because it's going to take time. I mean, it's going to take a lot of time. We need humble men and women who will listen to others. And then in the midst of that, I think we also just want to remember, I just want to remind you, we also need men and women who trust the gospel and value the church. Men and women who trust the gospel and value what the church is. Otherwise, this just becomes some sort of self-improvement project. You know, We have to remember verses 11 through 14 that we trust the gospel. And then also remember this process. We value what the church is and what it is called to do. So we need to value the fact that the church is the place that God has chosen to see the gospel bear fruit in our lives. And the church is also the force for true change in this world. It's, it's interesting in this, we've pointed out that it's, it's God's people living in holiness that causes the, the people to close their mouths when they're accusing the church. And it causes people to, to, to turn and ask questions and then hopefully join us in, in glorifying God as we live these godly lives. So what's it look like? It's this community where we're growing in godliness. It's, it's we have humble men and women who are worthy of emulation and willing to train. We have humble men and women who are willing to learn from others. And we have men and women who trust the gospel and value the church. So why doesn't this happen? It seems so simple. What keeps it? I mean, there's like a million factors, right? But I think sometimes it's, you know, we're too proud. We're too busy. Too much false humility. We've got too much going on when we're young. And then we think that being older means we've earned the right to check out and do nothing. So I'm too busy when I'm young, and I was too busy when I, young, so when I was young, so now I'm not going to do anything. I've heard that so many times. Well, I've put in my years, and now I'm checking out. Too little time um, at a church sometimes. Sometimes we're moving from church to church, and relationships take time. In my experience, it's like three years before I really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm growing to, I mean, there's some, there's some relationships where you have sort of instant rapport with someone, and you can tell them anything. But I think sometimes it's, we're talking years of time together that you're growing to learn and to trust people. I think sometimes the church has too many programs, too much going on as a church for these relationships to happen. We're all together all the time, but we're never really talking about anything. That's why, as a church, we try to keep things so simple. And the hope is that, that you have space in your life for these kind of relationships. Are we perfect at encouraging and equipping? 
No. And I'm challenged by this passage again to, to think about how to do that well. But the goal of the simplicity of our church is that these relationships would build. Why do we have potluck on Sunday night? So you can build relationships with people so that you can grow and find someone that will help you learn and grow. Why do we do small groups? So that you can meet people and so you can have conversations and people praying with you and slowly open up about who you are and the struggles that you have and the triumphs that you have. I think sometimes one of the problems is that elders take on too much. I will admit that. Um, Sometimes we're not training other people. That's what Paul tells us to do. The, the elders are to train and equip others to do the work of the ministry, and sometimes we just do it because it seems easier, but it's not. And so we need to do a better job of, of training. You know, I just if you're an older man and woman, are, are you willing to train others? Are you willing to invest the time and energy to help someone grow? If we're younger men and women, are you teachable? Are you seeking this out? I think it's interesting. Sometimes someone's willing to train, but no one wants to learn from them. And sometimes everyone wants to learn and no one wants to train. If we could bring those things together, oh, we'd be growing. We'd be learning together. It's a community project, though. Are we trusting the gospel? I'll say there's so many encouraging things, I would say, within our church, within this. And I feel in some ways like we have all the pieces and we just need to connect it somehow. Um, And I, I think that's where a lot of churches are sometimes. And so... I encourage you to help help us process through this. But let me give you one encouraging thing uh, from from one person, uh, and I didn't tell him I was going to talk about him, so he'll be I don't he won't be mad at me I don't think. But I love Joel. I love Joel because Joel is talking about as he gets uh, to the point. Joel will never retire. I know that, uh, but I know he's trying to slow some things down. And as he's talked to me about that, you know why he told me he wants to slow things down. Sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional. (laughs) Because he wants to meet with other guys. That was the first thing he told me. When I slow down, I want to be able to meet with more guys and disciple them. Isn't that encouraging? And I pray that that Joel's spirit catches on and that we're all just, we're seeking that out. Because that's how we're going to grow. So we said our big idea is the gospel makes godly living possible for all of God's children. Here's what else I would say. The gospel lived out in the church community makes godly living possible for all of God's children. It has to happen within this community. If you think you're going to grow on your own, you are dead wrong. We need each other. We need the older men and the older women in our lives. We need to be teachable. And and it may be older just in faith, older in maturity, but we need to work together on this. And when it works, oh, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it it just functions the way it's supposed to. I invite you. I invite you to, to continue to think about, about Titus uh, 2, 1 through 10 with me, whatever parts is jumping out at you. As you think about, I know we, I made fun of New Year's resolutions last week, but maybe this is just something as I think about the character that I want formed in my life. As I think about 2017, I start to look through this and say, boy, I want to be an older man like that one day. When I grow up, I want to be that. <laughs> or, or I want to be an older woman like that one day. I want to seek out someone that will help me. If you've got ideas, if you've got thoughts, let's work together on this. And, um, and let's grow together to honor God with the way that we live and to proclaim who he is uh, to the world that's watching us. Let me pray for us. Father, um, it's so simple this all is and yet so difficult. Uh, so 
I pray that you would help our church. Lord, I, I thank you for the older men and the older women in this church that are godly, that, that show forth these characteristics, that we can follow and walk after them. Lord, I thank you that there are younger men and women here who want to learn. Lord, there's, there's probably younger men and women here who don't want to learn that we just need to say, hey, you need to learn from these people. Lord, help us um, to figure this out. I pray that you'd help the elders of our church, that we would know how to train people for the work of the ministry. I pray that you would help um, those that, that have gifts of training and encouraging to feel empowered to use them. I pray that for those that need training, that need to grow in different ways, they'd feel like they, there's people here that they can talk to. Lord, help us. Help our, our church um, to love you well and to, to see these things grow in our lives. And Lord, ultimately we know it's only through Christ. It's only through the work of your spirit in this church, in our hearts, causing these things to grow. So um, we pray that you would uh, cause that to happen. And Lord, we just also want to pause and thank you that these good works are not what saves us. Oh, God. We would all be so lost. So thank you that Jesus is the one who did all these things perfectly and died for the fact that we did not and has risen again to give us the new life that we're seeking. Um, all glory to him. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.